Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul, in reading you know, through this, we see that Paul was communicating to this church at Ephesus, and he was really trying to get them equipped, strengthened, to walk in God's best for them. He was really trying to help them how to have a relationship with God, walk in their inheritance, know they had an inheritance, know they have a purpose in the earth, and be able to do warfare in a biblical sense, not in a foolish sense, but really how to pray and be effective and use your words and get answers from God and change things in your life for real. Not for religion, but for real. You know, you can be so long in religion and, and, and that you don't even expect results anymore. It's okay when prayers aren't answered. It's okay when you speak to mountains and they don't move. It's okay when you uh, spend time with God that you're not edified and built up yourself, that God has not moved, God has not communicated, God has not dealt with us. People can get that way. I mean, nobody here, but that other church down there? No, and people can be like that, and they can get in the motion and think, you know, I'm a Christian, and they rightfully are, but how is their walk with God? Well, what people do is they say, well, you know, I don't cuss, I don't drink, and if they've legalized marijuana in my state, I don't smoke it. And they go, that's okay. No matter what gets legalized, if it's not right with God, it's never going to be right. No matter if the government legalizes everything that God said, don't touch that. Period. Right? If they legalize being mean to one another, and they have in some senses... They call it freedom of speech, but that's not what our founding fathers ever wanted. It wasn't to be free to call people names and to degrade people and do things like that. No, it was in line with Christian values. And so no matter what they legalize, if it's not God, we are in a different kingdom, and we will give an account one day, and so will they. Knew you guys would be excited about that. So it doesn't matter what they legalize. And don't leave it up to the schools to teach your kids what's right and wrong. A parent is to raise the children. It didn't say send your kid to school and let them raise them. Or set them in front of the TV and let them learn their values. Or let them listen to music. Because what are all those things doing? They're teaching. They're training. They're passing on information. And people don't realize information is a huge thing. God said it this way. He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so, you know, there's people that say, well, I'm just going to let, let my kids... Uh, you know, I'm going to let them make their own decisions. Well, you know when your kids are ready to make decisions? When you've trained them. 
to make the right decisions. And then you work with them because here's the thing. If you just say, I'm going to let my kids do whatever they want to do and I'm going to let them be whatever they want to be and they're going to grow and they're going to make their own decisions, let me tell you this, they are not making their own decisions. They're not going to necessarily make proper decisions because they're not left to themselves to make their own decisions. There's all kinds of voices in the world that are pushing, right? We don't even let our trees and our bushes do their own thing. We water them. We trim them. And if something starts growing in the wrong place, we'll give an effort. Anybody ever got sweaty on a Saturday, a day after work? Because sometimes people come home from work and they're like, well, I don't got time for my kids. But you got time for your bushes? Your lawn? Your trees? And you go out there and you trim and you trim and then you purposefully do those things to shape it because if you, like me, I'm from Southern California. None of the bushes out there, except for roses it seems, have thorns. That was an eye-opening or almost an eye-gouging experience when I came here because I was in California, you let your trees grow down and this is awesome and I had a tree in my front yard at the place where I first moved when I was here. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm letting it grow. I didn't really pay attention, you know, and it was hanging down. And that thing just rubbed me, and I scratched my forehead. And I looked and thought, man, there are thorns all over this thing. If I don't trim this, it's going to hurt me. And do you know the Bible actually said in Proverbs, a child left to himself will bring his parents to shame? That doesn't mean you're just there. That means you help. And so what I did was I went and trimmed that tree. Why do, why do you trim a tree? To shape it? Because what if it grows out into the sidewalk then it's going to do harm to you and everybody who wants to pass by the sidewalk. Is it comfortable trimming a tree? Is it just enjoyable? Maybe not always. Sometimes it's therapeutic. And I'm sure you spanking your kid feels therapeutic sometimes too. Nobody said amen. Your kids aren't in here. You can. But the fact of the matter is we need to understand that people, just like us, God loves us, so he corrects us. Well, he doesn't condemn us. He helps us, what for? So we can be fruitful. And so, praise the Lord. God is good, and he wants us to be good parents. He wants us to be good grandparents. Oh, well, I just spoil my kid. It's good to give, your ki- to give kids or grandkids not everything they always want. It's good for you to not always give yourself everything you want. 
as somebody's like this. I feel real comfortable right now while he's preaching. I don't have grandkids. I don't have kids right now. It's good for you to not always give yourself everything you want to. Somebody's like, why don't you just read the Bible? It's the truth. You know, I'm thinking of scriptures when I'm saying this. You know, James said every man is drawn away of his own desires and is enticed. And he talked about being tempted to want to do stuff. So temptation is really just the moving of a strong desire in the wrong direction. So you can't give yourself everything that you may desire because not everything you desire may be right. You can renew your mind. You can get rid of desires in your emotions, but it takes work. You with me? And if you don't do that, you'll create a selfish brat, meaning ourselves. Anybody notice anything that's happening in society right now uh, that we see this mentality play out? If people don't get their way, they cry. Have you ever noticed whenever you want to do your own thing and you go, I'm not going to do that, you cry? Not out loud, but inside there's something that goes, oh, please, I'll be good, let's do that. You with me? I know because I live in the same body you do. You know, the same things occur to me. And you have to deal with them. And as you do, it'll actually help you to grow up in the things of God. Amen. Thank you. And it will help your kids to grow up in the things of God. They'll appreciate you later, even though they may not right now. You know, you do it in love. Not just to be mean, but to be a help. So anyway, Ephesians, the fourth chapter... Each one has a gift, and, and we do. We really have something from God. God wants to help kids. You know, the Bible said, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he's old, he will not depart. That does not say he will come back. It says he will not leave. There's a difference. So you can actually train up your children so they can make it in this life. And if there's ever a time you need a scripture or need to know that your kids can make it all the way through, that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but that means they can make it and keep serving God all the way. And here's the thing, if you're a child of God, then God is endeavoring to work on your behalf so you make it all the way too. Because he can train you up so you won't depart if you'll cooperate with him. See, that would be exciting because, you know, sometimes people, believe it or not, there are people in churches who the enemy's been pecking at them and trying to poke at them and tell them they're not going to make it, you know, very far in this walk. Anybody ever had that thought? You're not going to make it far in this walk. Lift your hand. The rest of you are lying. 
for the most part. Because he'll peck at people and go, oh, you know, you might as well just give that up. But if you can raise a child to not depart, then God can raise you so you won't depart. So you're ready when anything comes. If you'll follow him, he can lead you all the way home, so to speak, with him. He can make it so you'll last and nobody has to fall away. He can do that in your life if you'll cooperate with him. Because there are people who are like that. They just think, I don't know if I can do this life. I don't know if, if I'm capable of it. And, and that's not the truth. Somewhere they believed a lie. And if you think your kid has to go live some kind of horrible life and then come back, that's not true either. You know? Because you'll hear people say everybody has to sow their wild oats. First of all, I got no oats. Had some Quaker oats. But when they talk about sowing their wild oats, what does that mean? We don't have to. And we live in such a day and age that having a kid that grows up right in the things of God is very doable and would be a blessing to humanity and be a blessing to society and be a blessing to the kingdom of God. And as we, as children of God, learn to follow the Lord, then guess what? We'll be a blessing to the kingdom of God and we'll be a blessing to society too. We just need to understand, like Hebrews, the 12th chapter, talks about that every child is corrected. There is a path. God wants each person to make sure they deal with the things that he deals with them about. If there's something you're holding on into your, in your life and you think this is so important for me to have right now because it's just important to me and uh, God's dealing with you, no, it's not, and you know it. It's not the best thing. It can be a habit that doesn't seem like sin, but there in Hebrews, let's turn there. The 12th chapter, he talks here about children of God running their race, following the course he has for them. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded. Now he's not talking about in a church service. Somebody said, yeah, I'm surrounded right now. No, he's talking about we are surrounded by something. And he said we're surrounded by a great, so great a cloud of witnesses. When he talks about this cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all the patriarchs, all the people who he quoted here in the 11th chapter, and really any other believer who has gone to be with the Lord. If somebody has left you and they knew the Lord, they are in a better place. Not everybody goes to a better place. That's why we need to invite people so they can come and learn about Jesus, and get saved. And so, 
But here he said, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There may be people that are already in heaven that have already prayed for you. You know, I've prayed for people who are not even in the earth yet. If you had, have, has anybody here ever prayed for kids, grandkids, and you didn't even have kids yet? Or you were starting a family? Or you prayed for your uh, grandkids and, before, and you said, Lord, help them to raise their kids well, too. So there are people in heaven that had that kind of foresight, too. And so they prayed for people. Pray for their friends, Lord, that, that whoever that's around them, that they would be a witness to them. Maybe you were an answer to one of those prayers. from somebody long before you. Our prayers can go before us and can remain and be at work. Jesus' prayers worked after he left. Remember in John 17, he said, Lord, I don't pray for these only, but I pray for these who will believe in me through their word. So while Jesus was on the earth... He prayed for things that we're living out today. So realize this. There could be people who have prayed long before we ever came, and we're the effect of them and their prayers. But we could be praying for people in the future too. You with me? And God will work on them long after we're gone. Could this church be the result of people who are not even here on the earth today? Who said, Lord, they lived here in Mesa and said, Lord, uh, there needs to be something in this valley. To reach people who will do a work in this area that would be honorable to you. And then somebody just said, you know, I got an idea. I think maybe we'll go visit that desert area. And they went down there to this place called Mesa or the East Valley. And they ended up moving here. And they thought it was just a good idea. And didn't know really God was working in them to get them into a place so they could get here. Because somebody had prayed. And we'll be involved in stuff, I guarantee you, before the Lord comes, people believe that God will do great things. Well, He's always doing great things. We always get great testimonies of great things that are being done. But that being said, people have prayed, Lord, move strong before you come, so that people before you get here have a chance to know you. And they maybe have prayed that way a hundred years ago. 200 years ago, a 1,000 years ago, maybe Peter and Paul and James, maybe all of them prayed that way. But he hasn't come yet, so maybe we're at the wall, so to speak, when he comes back, and it's time for those prayers to come to pass. So maybe God has been out, already been preparing people's hearts for you just to talk to them. 
And maybe you haven't even prayed about it yet. But like Jesus prayed and prepared things through prayer long before he ever got there or left. I mean, you know, before this time, he prayed it out when he said that, not only for them, but those who will believe. We got their words written down. We're believing those prayers have an effect on us. Think about it. Jesus prayed for you when he was on the earth, and it's having an effect on your life. Now, I do understand Jesus is in heaven praying for you too because the Bible said he ever lives to intercede or make prayer for the saints. Man, if you feel like you're all alone and nobody's for you, he's praying for you continually. He's always about you and people. And so when he talks about this great cloud of witnesses, it literally talks about them in some translations being in the grandstands of heaven looking down on us while we run our race. I didn't even know I was racing. Your life is like a race in God. It's, a, it's like a cross-country marathon, you know, or some kind of long race. And so he uses this illustration. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, and what's he saying? There's people in heaven that actually get to watch you run your race. Now, I don't believe they're watching everything about your life, but we do know they're watching you run your race. You know, my great-grandfather died over 30-something years ago, and uh, I was living totally a goofed-up life. And um, I had been saved when I was five years old, but as I got through high school, we stopped going to church. And uh, then I was left adrift, and I started drifting, and I started going down this river in this path that was not good. And uh, I was a mess. And my great-grandfather died, and so I went to this funeral, and my grandfather did the funeral. I still remember it today. It was like 1984-ish. And I was sitting there hearing this, you know, the stories you hear at a funeral. You know, when somebody leaves and how that when they were young, they had got train set, you know, a train set for the kids. And they decided they were going to set the thing up the night before for the kids. They weren't thinking that. They were thinking, we're going to play with this. And they broke it. So he, the lady's like, oh, how horrible. The guys are like, cool, that's happened to me. I feel better about that. But the fact of the matter is I'm sitting there and he's telling these stories about my great-grandfather and him, my grandfather, and just about this man. And I remember all of a sudden like coming to myself. You know, there are times when people come to themselves and there are times they need to. And uh, Peter was wandering off in his walk with God when he had denied Jesus three times and it said a rooster crowed and it brought his attention back to something the Lord had said, and he said he wept sore, and he cried, and he repented 
for denying the Lord because something went off in him. So I was at this funeral, and something went off on the inside of me as I'm hearing these stories. And I knew this man was in heaven. He was a Christian. He had given his life to the Lord. And I remember telling the Lord, I said, Lord, you know I'm not living right, and I know I'm not living right. And I said, but you just tell my great-grandfather that I'm going to make it, I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to live this life, and I'll make it. You just tell him I'll be there someday. And that was my prayer. And I left and kept doing my own thing. But something started working in me that day. But I was very aware of this great cloud of witnesses that, that, that the Lord was really there and there was a cloud of witnesses and that, that the Lord would communicate or he would see. And then it was a short time later and uh, a, a friend of mine had given his life to the Lord who uh, used to live pretty horrible and uh, he witnessed to me. I rededicated my life and I got back on track with God. And that was September 10th, 1985. But there's this great cloud of witnesses. And there are times in people's life when they come close, so to speak. Now, you understand, God lives in the believer, period. But there are times when people draw close to times where they will change. You know what I mean by that? One time there was a person in the Bible that came and talked to Jesus and uh, he said, what do I need to do to be saved? And he said, well, do this, keep the commandments, you know these things. He said, Lord, I've done them from my childhood. And uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him and he basically told him, he said, you know, you know, some different things. That guy was seeking and searching. But he left and didn't change because he loved his own life so much. There was another time a guy came and tried to trick Jesus. They said, what's the greatest commandments and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, he'd asked Jesus some questions. So Jesus answered and realized he answered right. And then he asked Jesus, asked some things. And then Jesus made this statement to this man. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because some people are not far. Their heart's reaching out. They, there's something in them that's calling out for a change in their life. That they know they need to make a change. They just know that they know it's beyond their head. And Jesus ran into a man that day and he said, you're not far from the kingdom. You know, there's... Many people like that in the book of Acts, or I should say some people like that in the book of Acts. I think sometimes we think that the miracles that happened in the book of Acts were just random, boom, like God threw a hand grenade and God threw a hand grenade and wherever it landed, it just happened. No, if you look, you'll find that there were hungry people. There was a hungry man who wanted to know more. His name was an Ethiopian eunuch. Didn't give his name. But he is searching the scriptures, trying to find out. God sent a man named Philip to join himself by an angel to him so he could come back or come to know the Lord. A couple chapters later, you find a man named Cornelius. He wanted to know God. 
And he, and it wasn't just random, he wanted to know God. And so he would pray and he would give and he was doing all that he knew. But in that, he didn't know the Lord personally, wasn't committed to him, but he was giving and he would pray often. And you know, God can see people's hearts and so he reaches out to them. And so an angel appeared to him and he said, now go send men down to Joppa or this city. You're going to find a man there praying and uh, he'll be at this man Simon's house, the tanner, and his name is Simon Peter. Go call for him, and he'll tell you words by which you and your whole household can be saved. So he went down, or sent men down. Peter's on the roof. It's not kosher, so to speak, for Jews to go be with Gentiles or non-Jewish people because they're considered unclean. But this man's heart was toward God, and when people are like that, God will begin to move to meet that need. And so he spoke to him, and this vision happened, and these animals came down, and they were animals that you normally, under Jewish law and dietary law, you shouldn't eat. And the Lord said, rise, kill, and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. You know, you could do a timeout right there. Because he said, I've never eaten anything. What the Lord tell him? Arise, kill, and eat. It's interesting, he never said, I didn't kill one. He just said, I've never eaten one. So many people are bothered by killing animals today. Now, I'm not talking about going and shooting cats in your neighborhood. But they're like, oh, I just can't, you know, you want to go hunting? Oh, you mean you have to, like, kill a deer? Yeah, you know that burger you ate? They killed that first, too. But anyway, people need to hear this stuff because they were so distanced from farms and so distanced from certain cultures, uh, you know, part of our culture that we think, you know, everything just comes from the store. There's a burger store. You get peaches out of the store. Next thing you know, people are going to be bothered how they pull peaches off the tree. Because, you know, everything's alive. You know, there's a lot. And there's peaches like, oh. And that peach cried, oh. It's painful how they pulled the peach off the tree. Because people are stupid enough to act like that when they listen to the devil. And they listen to his doctrines, and listen to his ways, and think that there is no God. And so, you know, these trees, you know, you could just harm, who knows what they're going to think of next. You with me? It's still the truth. But anyway, so what happened? They go down, and they get Peter. The Lord appears to him, tells him, go up, don't question anything. And uh, this man Cornelius calls all of his friends. They respect him and said, you know, an angel appeared to me. He was a trustworthy man, told his friends and family, and he said, I, I sent some people to go get this man. If you want to hear, come. His whole house was filled. There are hungry people out there. There are people out there that God would direct us to them, or you could be sitting here as a result of, 
of being hungry this morning and not having made the decision yet to really go for it with God. But God can be working on you. But at the same time, there are people out there like that. But if we get so crowded in our life that we, you know, we think prayer is just the legal side of spending 20 minutes, we're not expecting to hear from God where he would deal with you. Go here and do this. And he will. I've had him deal with me before more than once, numbers of times. He's looking to answer prayers of people. I mean, people who are alive and dead. Someone who's praying for their neighbor, and you're there and you have this prompting, I need to talk to them. I need to bring them, whatever it is. Hungry hearts or people who've been prayed for, God will reach out to them. You know how he's going to reach out to them? Through us. Through his people. So anyway, we're talking about this, about being successful as a Christian. Right? Not having to fall away. You don't have to fear falling away from God. Remember, that's how we started here. So there's this great cloud of witnesses. If you can raise your child to be a success, God's better at it than you are. And if you can learn how to follow God in your own life and watch how he does it with you, you could turn around and do that with your children. You know, there's that old saying, if you want to teach, talk. If you want to learn, listen. Observe. And if you'll observe your relationship with God, you'll find he doesn't condemn, he doesn't beat, he doesn't pound you, but he'll deal with you and he'll do certain things and things get pulled back in your life too. Meaning you miss out when you don't follow. Isn't that true? Anybody ever missed out? Because you get outside of certain areas and it, and it has an effect. But notice this. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. One thing about this book here, the book of Hebrews is he definitely, definitely, definitely the writer wanted the believer, you, me, to be conscious of the unseen world realm. He never makes mention of devils, but often he makes mention of, of angels. Angels that are there in the unseen realm, working on our behalf, working for us, who are at least ready to work for us if we'll cooperate, talking about God the Father sitting on the throne, talking about Jesus doing stuff on our behalf, and here he's talking about people there. This writer was wanting people to know there is an unseen world that's more real than this world, or at least is real, but it's spiritual and will go on forever. 
And so he said, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. Remember I said there are some things that are not sin. We just need to realize I shouldn't participate in that. There's some things that I just don't do because I know that it's not good for me or it's not good for other people. Not even sin. Just not good. Somebody said, I have a right to do it. Well, maybe you do, but love wants to do things the best for other people. And if we really want to walk with God, we must walk in love. And so he said, let us lay aside every weight and. What is a weight? Remember I said we're all running in this race and God wants us all to win and he wants us all to make it all the way. If you go finish the, the 12th chapter, he talks about, or actually, I'm sorry, back in the 10th chapter, he talks about those who drew back that, and didn't go on in their walk. And he said, we're not of those who draw back. But it's interesting, he talks about a whole group of people who made it, then he talks about how God, if you'll listen to him, he will help you to make it all the way. And let me tell you something. If you will really follow God, you'll get stronger every day. I didn't say you won't face tests and you won't face trials and tribulations. But the path of the righteous, the Bible said, grows brighter and brighter day by day. If you will follow God, you'll get stronger not weaker. You'll get mightier in the kingdom and walk in more light and more ability and more authority and more strength if you follow God. You won't get weaker. You'll get stronger. If your life is getting weaker, ask yourself, what am I doing? I didn't say if you're going through a test or a trial, ask yourself what you're doing. You might be doing stuff right. You might be doing stuff really right and the enemy's coming against you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking in the overall thing. If your walk with God is not going the right way and it's not getting stronger, you should ask yourself, what am I doing? Because God will raise you to be something. How many of you have ever thought in your own life, Man, if I was only Donald Trump's kid, I'd have a lot of money. Or if I was, somebody's like, not me, well, then Hillary Clinton's kid, whatever. If Somebody's like, not me either. But I'm talking Bill Gates. And not for the sake of their morals, because many of them are immoral that have money. But you were like, man, if I'd have just been with this person's kid, I'd have a lot of money. Anybody ever thought like that before? Nobody has? 
And actually, okay, a number of people are like, but it's the truth. They, they dream like, man, if I was somebody else's kid, I'd have a lot of money. Listen, you're not bound by your natural parents. Bible said, if you will serve me, I will bless your bread. I will bless your water. And I will take sickness and disease away from you. And the number of your days you will fulfill. He said if you would serve him and put him first, he would add all these things to you that the rest of the world seeks after. So if we really are doing that, then there will be some kind of increase at some point in our life if we're doing it right. There will be a strengthening. There will be an improvement in you. Spiritually, that will have an effect in every area of your life. So many people want the results of what this relationship is supposed to bring, but don't want the relationship part of it. That's why you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You follow after Him. You look to have fellowship with Him. You look to follow Him and walk with Him. And then these things will follow you. It's just how it is. It has to be. You with me? And we're talking about being raised to be successful. And so he said, lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race or the path that is set before us or each individual. Verse 3, looking unto Jesus. That's the key to your walk with God. That's the key to having things added unto you. Get the junk out that doesn't belong, but keep your attention on Jesus. Learn to look to Him and follow Him. Keep your mind on things above, like the Bible said in Colossians, the third chapter, not on things on the earth. Where you get affixated is where you go. That's why tests and trials would like you to look at them. You ever look at problems long enough? They'll make you a little bit blue. You know what I mean that by that? And so you don't have to get overly fixated on the wrong thing. And he tells you right here, in this life and in this race, you must keep your attention on Jesus. Whatever you want to be big in your life, give attention to it. Some people have hobbies that turn into full-time things, and what they don't realize is it's not a sin, but it is a weight that it can grow so big that it consumes your attention, and then it chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And we want to be fruitful. God wants us fruitful more than you want to be fruitful. Even if you don't want to be fruitful, He wants you to be fruitful. And so it says here, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice it says, notice how it says, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith. If you go back and read the 11th chapter about these successful people, they all goofed up somewhere in their life and more than once. But it's so cool that in the 11th chapter, he didn't bring up the reminders of Samson and his failures, David and his failures, Abraham and his ability to lie. Then Isaac learned of his father to lie. Doesn't bring it up. But they made it. But there's some interesting things where it talks about how they looked to the reward and these different things. But there's one thing in there. It says when Abraham was going to offer up his son to the Lord and he got ready to kill him, it said that when he was going to obey God, it said he knew that this was a son of promise. And it said he believed and he knew that God would raise him up. And it said he received him in a figurative sense. What does that mean? Because it's all in the flow of this looking unto Jesus. He received him in a figurative sense. What is a figure, a figure or figurine? It's an object of something. In his own imagination, Abraham trusted and believed that God would raise him from the dead. And he saw that, man, if his head gets cut off, if I cut off his head, God will stick his head back on and he'll be fine. He had so meditated and saw it that way that he believed it and God saw it and he knew if I do this, here's an interesting thing. There are many people, or I shouldn't say many, some people in the Old Testament who saw their dead raised. A mother did. A soldier was. There were different times in the Old Testament when people were raised from the dead. We think of it as, well, you got to be a Christian. you got to have this great faith. He gives you a clue how to develop stuff in faith inside of you, how you imagine, how you constantly ponder things. And so what he was saying, looking unto Jesus, the only way you can do that is in a figurative sense through what the Word says. You can see him in heaven. Have you ever pictured him high and lifted up? Have you ever imagined over long periods of time that you're raised up with him? And what does it mean to be raised up? That every devil, every problem, every ill, every evil, he defeated and he rose up and conquered it and then raised you up in him. Do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in a figurative sense being in him and that that means that you are above all these things? You start meditating and thinking like that and seeing it that way, your faith will start rising. No wonder the devil wants you to get so consumed with all kinds of stuff in your life because he wants you to imagine other things. And then it chokes the word. What word? You seeing Jesus as mighty and strong and you being in him and having authority and dominion and that the problems you face, you're actually a conqueror over them because he's already done something about them, but he tries to get people weak in faith. That's why I said God can raise his kids better than anybody, but he knows we can raise our kids to be a success too because we have the best example. We have God as our, an example, as our example. 
And so here it said, looking unto Jesus. The only way you can do that is, is to use your imagination. But remember, life will bring stuff to crowd out that imagination and give you something else. Your hobby. You ever gotten into a hobby and really got into it? It'll start consuming your mind. You'll feel, i got to do this. I'm going to do it like this. Hobbies are not bad until they start crowding your imagination. And that's what you dream about. That's where your hunger will go. And your hunger for God will dissipate. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean God's for you. It just means the enemy is using something and he's using it as bait to get you drawn away. And it may seem real good. I'm investing in my family. Are you really? Have things in their right order. So it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. What he faced, he looked beyond it. That's how he endured it. What we're to do is look beyond life and the circumstances and look and get our mind on Jesus. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own soul or your own mind. He said, think about him. Get your imagination on him. Look, he made it. You can make it too. But notice verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten. Notice he keeps going back to your imagination and things that would choke and get you looking at the wrong thing. Notice, and you have forgotten the exhortation, the word of encouragement which speaks to you as to sons or to children. My son, do not despise the chastening or literally the discipline or correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked or when he deals with you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens or corrects. And disciplines every son or child whom he receives. If you endure chastening, in other words, you follow it and do what he says. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not correct? Correction, though the world tells you don't do that, is a sign of love. And I'm not talking about these people who have no sense, who slap and beat their kids and Stuff like that. Just because you had a bad experience with a father doesn't mean you can't do it right. Notice this. If you endure chastening or discipline, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not correct? How many of us have run to hide from God? And we weren't even in church. And he started dealing with us. He's good back, good like that. Uh, even if you wear an aluminum foil hat trying to block those waves from getting in there, he still will get to you. Notice this. But if you are without chastening or correction, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, everyone 
who truly is saved, God deals with them no matter what and where they're at. That should give you hope if you have kids that are out there doing their own thing, but you know they've received the Lord. You start, don't be bothered by what you see. Know that what God does is internal in them. Start claiming things and declaring things. Talking to God and he'll start dealing with them. And it doesn't matter where they run. doesn't matter how hostile they get. God will work in them. You with me? Just like he'll deal with you too. Notice this, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection? In other words, obey God to the Father of spirits and live, or literally means experience agape, or, or His love and His Zoe life. Notice this. For they indeed for a few days corrected or chastened us as it seemed best to them, but He for our profit... Think about this. Have you ever thought, man, if, if I only knew where I could invest this money and get a great return? Have you ever thought that before? Man, I, if I, and you pray, I got this money, and if I could get a great return, this would be awesome. This is how you can get an awesome, great return. Notice this, but he does it for our own profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Why is it important? He said, now no chastening seems to be joyful or correction at the present. It's not pleasant for kids naturally, and it's not always pleasant for adults who are Christians naturally. But the whole thing is, you have to control yourself as a Christian. You enforce it on your kids. He corrects you and you have to do it. Woo! Somebody said it should have said, oh me or something. Maybe a tear was shed. He said, it's not joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained thereby. Now, I'm not going to read through, but he talks about without holiness, people don't see or recognize or perceive the Lord. One of the great things about following God when he deals with us is the fruit of being willing and obedient, like he said, of eating the good of the land, being holy. Now, we're created holy, but when you live a holy life, the Bible said you'll see or perceive the Lord more and more. In other words, there are different what places here, even though we're all believers maybe, to how we're perceiving the Lord. How we're sensing Him right now. And you know it can get better and better with the Lord. Amen? Well, we'll get back to E next week. Right? But I know God's dealing with people. People have cried out to him. So he's trying to get them to know that you can still have a good prayer life where it's not mechanical, where God does deal with you, where he does bless you.
where you know what to do and you do it. You with me? He cares about his kids enough to deal with us. And there are people out there, and there may be some here, who are hungry. Because remember I said this. The stories in the book of Acts of the major people who had conversion experiences, whether it was Paul, whether it was the Ethiopian eunuch, whether it was Cornelius, or the woman who sold the the cloth, uh, their hearts were opened. They had a bend toward God. Paul did, the Bible said, but not according to knowledge. But when people are bent toward knowing God, God will meet them. Don't freak out when there's hungry people, but they're heading every single direction. Know that God can get to them. God can deal with them. God can work in them. 